Hello, hello, this is Alex Burkett, and you are listening to The Long Game Podcast. This episode is a part of our Kitchen Side series, where we pulled back the curtain and show you the behind-the-scenes conversations, debates, strategies, and brainstorming sessions that we have at our agency, Omniscient. In this episode, we talk about somewhat esoteric concept of taste. Taste as in, how do you know what's good? How do you know what's bad? Can you explain how you know what's good and what is bad? This applies obviously to multiple domains and we talk about them, ranging from movies and why I loved The Expendables, uh, from food, being a consumer versus a creator. We talk about art and of course we talk about content and SEO. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode of The Long Game. So, um, God, two, four, four or five nights ago, I had COVID-19 for the third time and I wasn't feeling really well. So I took an edible and, uh, because that's, that's legal in New York and, uh, you know, it made me feel better. Um, just to be clear, it's legal. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's totally sanctioned. I, I got it from a dispensary and, um, yeah, I was, uh, uh, spending time wisely on Twitter on x.com. And uh, I saw a post formerly known as a tweet from Ryan Law, who is at <laughs> Ahrefs. Sorry, this is the weirdest introduction ever. <laughs> formerly of animals. And uh, he, he had a post about like writers as operators. And it was basically this quote tweet of uh, a Zapier article. And uh, Zapier, if you know anything about their content and SEO strategy, they write about anything and everything. It's very HubSpot-esque. Um, they, frankly, have outranked me for a lot of affiliate listicles, which I'm still a little upset about. But they wrote a uh, blog post on like how to start a startup. And they had this how to start a startup checklist. And the checklist had all of these things from like, create a logo, create a business plan, secure a loan, like build a website, Wasn't build it like a strategy. regulations. Yeah, it's like every little thing. And uh, it's funny, obviously, to us who are running a business. And it's like, that's clearly not how you actually start a business. Um, but it's one of those things that is passable as advice online uh, from somebody who maybe hasn't done it or has, you know, if, like, if the reader hasn't done it before, they're not going to like look at that and say that's wrong. But as soon as somebody who has done it before looks at it, it obviously doesn't pass the sniff test. And uh, Ryan's point was like, it's not believable. Like it's because the person hasn't done it. It's like very like hand wavy, like high level stuff. Um, so that brought me down this rabbit hole of this article that he posted on writers who operate. I believe it was a VC who had written that. Um, and the whole essay was about um, people tell him to write full time. And he's like, I don't want to write full time because a lot of my ideas come from the field. I get more ideas, generally speaking. Uh, when you're a full time writer, you suffer from audience capture. Often you get really addicted to the engagement and you go for the topics that are most salacious as opposed to the most interesting to you. Um, so it was basically, and your believability is much higher if you are an operator, which is kind of a annoying term nowadays, but it's somebody who's in the field doing things. And that brought me down a further rabbit hole to this article on taste. Uh, and I thought taste was a really interesting topic because in past uh, Kitchen Sides and just in conversation between the three of us, we've talked about taste and how important it is 
Um, it's related to standards of quality. I think it's very uh, difficult to hold high standards of excellence without having a semblance of taste. It's often the fact that somebody doesn't know what's good or bad, right? And how do you how do you define taste? How do you develop? Can you develop taste? Is it something innate? Obviously, I don't think it is. So I thought the taste uh, concept was very interesting because everybody's got an opinion on what good content quality is and what bad content quality is. And it comes down to taste, right? So that's the context. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I remember when I first started at HubSpot and I was on one of those scrappy teams where we did content, but we kind of did everything. We uploaded the content. We like did custom HTML to format it the way we wanted. We created all the graphics and we had a designer on the team and her name was Rachel and I would design something in Canva or Photoshop or something I'd share with her. Like, hey, I, f- I know what I'm trying to do with this, but I don't know how to do it. Can you help? And she was like, mm. well, it's a good sign because you have good taste. Like, you know what you want it to look like and I see what you're trying to do. It's just you haven't put in the reps to do it yet. It's like, it's better than not having taste and then trying to design something. Uh, and that's kind of stuck with me because I think you can have taste, but not actually know how to execute on it, which is where like, you should be able to operate as well. Like that informs your taste and like whether or not you can actually do it. Cause it's kind of like those people who are hand wavy, but haven't actually done it. Like maybe they, and I don't know, maybe this is like a misinterpretation, but like I can see people who like can talk about things that are high level, but don't know how to operate. And Maybe they act like they have taste, but it's just like very generic. But the people who actually operate, there's or people who actually do the thing, whether it's operating a business or if they're a subject matter expert, it's the way that they describe what they do and the words they use that I'm like, oh, you're the real deal. You're like, you're not just spewing back what someone else had said. Like you've actually done it before. Yeah, there's a sense of originality, I think, that's definitional in taste could because taste is not universal. So I think you weren't on the call earlier, but Ali and I were talking about how I watched two movies yesterday. And wow. uh, so to one of them was this new movie. Ali, what was it called? Uh, don't. The one with Julia Roberts. Don't leave, leave, leave home, something like don't that. Don't leave me alone. I, I don't. It's apocalyptic. Um, it's very like artfully directed. The camera angles are like over the top and like quite frankly, noticeable to the extent that it takes away from the movie, in my opinion. But there's this whole, you know, and I'm sure it got really good reviews. Um, And then I also watched The Expendables. And The Expendables, I remember this. I I remember I was halfway through the movie and I I just noticed, I'm like, I don't even remember what's happening. Like, I don't even know what the plot is right now. And I had to remind myself, I'm like, oh yeah, there's like some like drug lord and something, you know, like I had to like go back because it was so entertaining. Uh And um, to me, like, I think there's a snobbishness that uh, some people conflate with taste. Hmm. Um, if something hmm. appears to be sophisticated and complex, some people can feign the fact that they have taste by seeming to enjoy those things. Um, cause for me, like I actually enjoyed the expendables much better. And it's not to say that I don't enjoy like complex artful films I have. And I, I do, but I, I do think that like, it's not as simple as saying like, I like the fine things in life. I only enjoy oysters and like, hmm. you know, I don't like a cheeseburger. Like that's to me, that's not the same thing as taste. Yeah. You can always tell when someone is conflating or like posturing because I think they play on the stereotypes of like, oh, I don't like modern movies because there's so many explosions. And it's like, well, that's super easy to say, like that you can see that in the trailers. Like if you go deeper and talk more about like the nuance, uh, I mean, specific movies, I don't know a ton about cinematography, but I think it's the same with subject matter expertise, especially in content. Like 
I think at the end of the day, like content as a growth lever should be hard. Like it should take work, whether you're you're trying to find time away from operating to build that content, or if you're writing on behalf of an expert, it should take time and energy to understand what they're doing when they're operating and then turn that into content. Like it really shouldn't, it shouldn't be easy. And I think that's really what's been happening over the past five to 10 years is it's, it's become a very outsourced function. And the folks that are doing like the work aren't taking the time to really understand what it is to operate and what it is to be a true subject matter expert. And then what happens is it's feeding Google, which is educating people. And I think we're just becoming like less and less tasteful because we're like really skimming the surface on all this stuff. Like the search results are basic. Movies are basic. Like it's kind of feeding into society, going back into back into the world, mm-hmm. right? So it's becoming harder to find folks that are both operating and producing or folks that can take what it is to be an operator and really turn that into content. That's becoming more and more difficult to find. Definitely not on Google, more of those newsletters or like single producers. I, I have a lot of questions then. I guess to make it tangible, like what are examples of like taste mm. and then how does one develop it and why is it important? in our world. Mm. Can we go through maybe this essay and, and give credit where credit is due because it was a very well thought out essay and maybe we can react to the points uh, because the essayist actually went through that uh, point by point. Also, I just wanted to say, Ali, on one of your first points before you got into the details on like organic and content, it <laughs> made me think of like the people who parrot tropes like Nickelback sucks. <laughs> yeah. And like, I it's this very Nickelback. easy thing to do. Right? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's no more midwit opinion than saying like, Oh, I hate Nickelback. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Ask somebody like, why? Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, cause everybody else does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's the same. And like every component understood. of life, yeah. <laughs> everything about pop culture is just like, there's always the stereotypes. And if that's, if someone like corners their opinion on that, you know, there's probably no substance to it. They're an NPC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the person who wrote this essay, it's Bree Wolfson, and it was written in 2022. It's called Notes on Taste, and we'll put a link in the description. So I took, there's, it's a longer essay, and there's many points on it, but I took some highlights and notes. Top one here is, appreciation is a form of taste, and creation is another. They're often intertwined, but don't have to be, so somebody could have impeccable taste in art without producing any themselves. I thought that was an interesting point, because it delineates the creator from the consumer. Yeah, that's... That's really interesting. The folks in my life that I know that are really into art and art collecting have some component of art in their lives, whether they do it as like a hobby or they they're a designer, like even a graph, like one of my best friends is a graphic designer. She doesn't paint, but she's and she has an amazing eye for art. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me that like, like, how do you know what you're looking for if you have well, no knowledge of the subject matter at all? Is it just what feels right to you? I think it's a vibe. <laughs> well, that one I, I relate to because okay. I can't create art for the life of me. Like that's something I can't even draw like Garfield or something like that. But I do have very particular aesthetic taste in things that I like. And I don't know if they're actually like, ma- like, I don't know if they're like, everybody would agree with them, which maybe that is like the definition of taste in some ways. But like, I definitely can't produce. Whereas in another field, like I can play music and I've written music. And I do feel like it maybe puts it gives me a different angle when I um when I analyze music, I don't know if it necessarily dictates what I like and what I don't like. Like Radiohead is very complex and like beautiful from like a construction component. Like it's very like 
well written and composed. But like to me, it, it, like it's my favorite stuff is still Blink One Eighty Two and the Rolling Stones. Yeah, it's like you can have a pretty objective appreciation for something, but it's not something you personally would choose to listen yeah, and to you don't, or look and you at. You don't like have to like write like New York City is filled with people who don't cook, but they obviously love going out to eat. True. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they have strong tastes and opinions about like what type of food they do consume. So mm, that's a good point. Two are necessarily like uh, linked. And like, obviously the metaphor here is like the creator versus the consumer of content, right? Like in our world, that's the obvious like analogy. Yeah. It's, it's like, and in order to have, to develop that taste, you need to have tasted like literally and metaphorically a lot of different things and had, mm. had a lot of experience. Like I'm kind of going to shit on Boston, but a lot of people in Boston are like, wow, Boston's such a great food town. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> like, what part, what? Maybe for some types of food, but it's, you definitely don't get the type of like diversity of food as you would in say LA or New York. And I think people in those cities definitely have a different palate. And like, I even, like one of the things that I even think about is like, I love music. I think I have good taste in music. I've never produced or played or written music or anything, but when I'm at a show, I can tell when a DJ does a bad transition or I'm like, oh, that song should not lead into that song. We're like, mm. wow, would have never expected those two to like transition. But like, that was fucking solid. Like I can make comments like that and feel so strongly about it that I need to tell other people and like get excited about it. So I don't know if that's a sign of taste, but. The- but do you feel like your years dancing and spending so much time around that kind of music has informed you? Maybe it's like experiencing a lot of different types and then being like, all right, I, I know what I think is good and what's not mm-hmm. good. What's interesting is that there's a lot of people who are maybe creators who have like a sort of like their taste is defined by a little bit of hipsterdom in multiple fields. So like in content, like you hear people talking about like uh, there's this old quote from Picasso. I think it was Picasso. <laughs> um, something about like <laughs> <laughs> it was in the article. I'll just like quote it so I don't fuck it up. Um, so Picasso remarked that when art critics get together, what they talk about is form and structure and meaning when artists get together, they talk about where you can buy cheap turpentine. Um, so I'm kind of misconstruing the meaning of that quote, but like, I find that writers will often talk about the most like granular Oxford comma M dash versus like whatever those other things are. And like comedians tend to like comedians who the public don't like like there's this such thing as a comedian's comedian you know mm-hmm. and sometimes there's overlap between the two musicians will often do that too they like the most obscure of, of taste like they don't often like what the masses like so to speak so there there's sometimes a gulf at, at least that i've seen that's so interesting from like a, a content standpoint because it's so easy to forget who's reading your work sometimes and how the end user, depending on who you're writing for, especially in a business context of trying to drive revenue, might not care about the things that you care about, or they might care more about things that you you don't know. And I think that's where like content and marketing is such an interesting convergence because a lot of writers don't have like a marketing background or a marketing understanding. And I think the core of marketing is number one, know your audience. Hmm. And I think that's a huge step that people either skip or they downplay because they're like, oh, I just have to go right to the subject or right to the topic and do research, usually secondary and not primary, not understanding. It's not a matter of understanding the topic, it's understanding who's reading it. I think that informs how and what you write about a lot more than people realize. And I think that's becoming more and more prevalent 
now, especially with like GPT and a lot of like basic SEO best practices if you're writing for search specifically. So it's interesting, like artists don't talk about the nuance. They talk about where to get supplies Mm -hmm. and the writers should probably know that. Mm -hmm. I guess in our world, when we're working with clients, we try to secondhand develop tastes by interviewing Mm -hmm. many subject matter experts, getting their experience. Like I know I've, I've been reviewing some of the work for one of our more technical clients where their target persona is a product manager. And I used to be a product manager and I went through the article and I'm like, oh, I can see where this, where the writer's going with this, but they clearly weren't a product manager. And I know that this is not what a product manager or engineer would talk, would speak or write like. So let me make those edits and like give the high level feedback of here's how you would want to phrase these types of things or like here are the pain points that a product manager would have and why they would be excited about like this product, like to help build integrations or whatever. So I like to believe that one could develop some taste secondhand, or at least maybe not as effectively, but at least it's better than not. And otherwise, at least when we think about SEO and content, if without that, and I guess I'll use that as a proxy for experience, without that, it's going to be harder to build trust and show like, hey, we're, we're an expert in this. I, there, there's, I think there's a spectrum, like I'm looking at this on like a sliding scale between like, like if we're thinking about believability and like subject matter expertise, like there, mm-hmm. there's like the far end uh, that we were referencing with the Zapier article, which is like maybe the highest level fluff of somebody who has never started a business writing about it. And like, that's the far end of like the lack of expertise. But then there's the other end of the spectrum that I don't think is also probably a great way to to go to market, which is like extremely expert driven to the point where it's incomprehensible to people who aren't deep in that field. And I dealt with this at CXL, like my, my favorite writer to work with was like, you could like, if you weren't running hundreds of A-B tests a year, it would be very difficult to understand what he was talking about. But I loved it. I, I it was my favorite. And there's somewhere in the middle that's kind of that sweet spot when you're when you're doing content and SEO. I remember actually when I was a, <clears throat> a percussion major I, or, or music major, I was a percussionist when I started school. And we went to this conference in Indianapolis called PASIC. And um, I was kind of a beginner. Like I didn't really, like I wasn't as deep in the world of like John Cage and all these crazy like composers. And I remember the first day was filled with like, my, my mentor called it the atonal abyss. So it was basically like nothing had a key or a structure and it was all so complex. And I was like, what the fuck is this? This just sounds like noise to me, you know? And like, to me, that's like the far end of the inscrutable, like crazy complex uh, uh, expert. So like hipster, the hip, yeah, it's, it's like, cause it is enjoyable to a certain crowd. Like once you understand what rules they're breaking and why they're doing what they're doing, you're like, wow, that's very intelligent, but it's almost like too smart. It's like intentionally, intentionally not like offbeat. A hundred percent. Oh, so to me, it's a sliding scale uh, uh, when it comes to effectiveness, at least. I think looking through this essay, one of my favorite points that the author made is though taste may appear effortless, you can't have taste by mistake. Taste is a commitment to a state of attention. Hmm. And I think I think about the people in my life because it, it says right here, like you'll likely ask. Like taste is knowing who to ask for recommendations, right? Like there might be different people in your life that have different types of taste, like. Alex and David both have great book recommendations because you guys have taken years and years and years to read a bunch of books, understand which authors you like. I might not resonate with every book recommendation you give me, but I trust what you bring to the table because you've taken time and you've made very intentional effort to understand what's you know tasteful and what's beneficial. The friend I mentioned who's a designer, 
I go to her for furniture and like decor recommendations. I might not like all of them, but I do like appreciate the time that she's put into that over the course of her life. So it's interesting to me because it seems like some people just like have it. But what I what I think taste and having people in your life that have good taste, what I think that speaks to is people who like take a second or third or fourth look at things and actually look at the detail. And and it takes a lot of effort, especially now where like our attention spans are milliseconds and there's just so many inputs and so many noises, so many recommendations too online, you know? So I like that point. I thought that was a very important point. Yeah. I might be like, misconstruing or coupling taste with experience at this point. But I think one of the people mm. who I really enjoy following and I'm like, really enjoy her posts is Ellen Averna on LinkedIn. Like she posts these kind of funny memes, like very funny memes sometimes. I'm like, oh, she only knows these things because she's actually been operating and like has been in the shoes of head of like VP of growth and all of that stuff. And she can speak to these nuanced things and make memes about them. Like I kind of view that as taste because someone who's just writing about growth or building a SaaS company or software, it's not going to be able to speak to the, like build those memes the way she would. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm just like, wow, that hits, that cuts deep. I'm like, I know exactly what she's referring to and you can see it in the comments as well. I feel like you can't have experience with, or you can't have taste without experience. No, that's not right. I think you can. Yeah. I actually think that um, they're sort of separable and and it's more in the believability point uh, than mm-hmm. taste for, for Elena's content because I enjoy it too. Um, although it is tasteful, I, I just think they're sort of mutually exclusive to an extent. The mm-hmm. point on that remark that you you made, Ali, in the essay was uh, mindfulness. And um, yeah, I don't know if you've read the uh, Rick Rubin book. Uh, I don't remember the title, but his whole book was about mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And he essentially equated art with being present and in the moment and mindfulness. Um, yeah. And I, I, I made a little note there. I don't know if you saw in, in the notes, <laughs> this is Da Vinci and the Woodpecker. And uh, I remember I read Da Vinci's biography, uh, the Walter Isaacson one, I believe, a couple of years ago. And uh, one common theme throughout it was how infinitely curious and insanely mindful he was about the most minute details. And in his journals, he had repeatedly written reminders for himself to describe the motions of the tongue of the woodpecker. <laughs> he was like watching a woodpecker and he's like, I'm just so curious about the mechanics <laughs> of the woodpecker's tongue. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like experience plus mindfulness or reflection equal taste. Like you can have experience and not have taste, but I do think if you have experience and then you take the time to reflect and be mindful in like what you've learned and absorbed, th- that could lead to taste. I think a reader of books can have taste though without having the experience of written them. So experience probably needs to be a little bit more specifically defined. But like in the case of if we're talking about the work that we do and the, and the expertise that you built years, year over year, right? Like you could spend 10 years building a business or working on growth or becoming like an expert in something like that. But if you don't take the time to reflect on what you've learned and the opinions that you now have based on your experience, it's probably not going to turn into taste, right? If you keep like charging forward and just focusing on what's ahead and not really taking the time to digest and be mindful about everything that you've learned and absorbed and, you know, I don't think that that that's what you're saying. Experience and taste are mutually exclusive, but I don't think they have to be. I think like the mindfulness and reflection are the, the that's the connective tissue. Mm. 
Yeah, I'm trying to parse those out in my mind because I, I can imagine somebody, and, and maybe mindfulness is the defining factor here, but I can imagine somebody who's built seven businesses and they've got like 40 years of experience or something like that who could not tell you the difference between a good and a bad essay about running those businesses. So I don't necessarily know that just the experience would lead. I, I, th- I just think that's like kind of a separate thing. But regardless, the next point is very interesting for discussion. Um, in the essay, the quote is, most people with taste can tell you in explicit terms how they came to it. That story typically involves somebody else ushering them into it directly or indirectly. So I'm wondering if you all have stories of how you came to having taste in content or anything else. If I'm thinking about it from the same like writer operator lens, I started a business in college that I sold before I moved here to Chicago. It was pretty small potatoes compared to what we're doing now. But when I moved into freelancing and I remember my mentor at the time asked me, like, what do you feel like you can write about without doing any research? Which I don't think writers ask themselves that today. That it was business. It was starting a business. Um, being an entrepreneur, all the things that go into that solo business ownership. And then obviously I've fine-tuned that knowledge over the years. But I think when I moved into my role at HubSpot, I very often was able to produce without a lot of secondary research. And the research I did do was just corroborating my, my thoughts and opinions with other folks on the marketing or sales teams at HubSpot, which I would much rather have gone to them than Google at the time. But Ali, I'm sorry, I'm pro- I know I'm probably being pedantic, but I still think you're talking about expertise and like authority and not taste. Well, I mean, that's what I was saying earlier, though. It's not how you know what you know, it's how you know what is good. So that's what I was talking about earlier, though, is like in sitting with my experience and reflecting on what I've learned and comparing what I'm writing about versus other people's p- pieces. Or if I did do secondary research and I was digesting what Salesforce or other B2B blogs are writing about. And it was like super high level. And I was like, this is not something I would have gone to when I was in the midst of building my business. This would have not taught me anything. Hmm. I know innately that this is it's not incorrect, but it's shallow. It's basic. That's where I started to understand like because of my experience and the reflection on my experience and the things that benefited me, which was typically other people, not third-party written content at the time. That's where I started to hone. Like I was able to read and see what checked out or not. It goes all the way back to that Zapier checklist you were talking about. Yeah. So you, yeah, I get that actually now. You, so you had made a thousand pad ties in your life and you ate a pad tie and you're like, this isn't fucking pad tie. This looks like pad tie, but this is not pad tie. Yeah. Because you had made so much in your life. Somewhat. My story, like I, I for content, like mine was from CXL and working with Pep. Cause I, um, how do I want to say this? Uh, there were certain sources that like, I would maybe read or link to or, or quote. I guess I could say which test one was one of them because they're not in existence anymore. But I, Pep would immediately nix that. And in the you know comments in the Google Doc would be like, this is shit. We do not quote them. <laughs> You're forbidden from quoting them. And I would learn why. And he's like, well, the statistics are... Comp- there's You couldn't even call it statistics. It's like not even a version of mathematical statistics. The case studies are all blown out of proportion. It's absolute amateur hour stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm learning, right? And there were other sources that I won't mention because they still exist uh, where I I would start to realize, oh, this is like good content. This is bad content. This is what 
I'm aiming towards in terms of like my bar for excellence. And this is when I fall short and why. And I started to understand that. And I've taken that through, like still when I write an essay and you could talk to Tommy Walker, Chanel, like you could talk to anybody who's worked uh, with Pep before, you still have the editor, his editorial voice in your head. It's like, this is shit, you know? (laughs) So it was mostly Pep that told you good versus bad? And set a standard for for that that bar for excellence and was able to explain sort of why what was good was good and what was bad was bad. Why? Well, I mean, there's a million minute points. Like, why is it bad to like have such an overly long introduction? It's because nobody cares and they've already landed on the topic and they want to just get into the topic. Why is like which test one case study bad? It's because they're using faulty statistics to do hyperbolic like, oh, this was a 400% win and misleading the industry and therefore causing a bunch of like chaos and disruption with the A-B testing and CRO kind of like space. Like there was a lot of different points like that formed a composite of knowledge in my brain about what was good and bad. So I can't really say like individually, like, you know, this versus that, but there was a ton of different things that I learned. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for the hot seat and I, I am struggling for my story. So I think the thing for me is, I remember when I was moving into, and this is not with content or SEO, but maybe there's some analogies there. When I was moving into product management, I did not have that experience, but I was that, I was putting in the reps. I was trying to figure things out. And it was through, is tutelage right word? Or like guidance from my mm-hmm. my friend and manager, Chris Miller slash AKA Millsy. He helped me develop taste and like, how a product manager speaks and presents ideas. And I would share presentation decks with him. He's like, cut this stuff, go straight to this thing. That's what people care about. We're like, say it this way instead. I'm like, why? And he's like, well, if you say it this way, it makes you seem like you're, it makes you seem unconfident or you're, you're going to present the wrong impression. Like, so say it this way instead. I'm like, oh, okay. I would have never known that. And those are kind of lessons that I carry to this day. So if I were to take that and apply it to something else, when someone's speaking and the way they present things, I've been intentional and reflective enough about how I speak and listening to others speak through podcasts and talks that I've listened to that I can actually point out, oh, I don't like the way that they framed that thing that they just communicated. They should have used different words. And here's why the way they said it is not good. Like, here's what I recommend that they say instead. So that's probably like translated a little bit. Hey, that was a really good point. Um, it made me think Thanks. about like the, because um, I, I, I had a similar thing with presentation at HubSpot, uh, watching Matt, Matt Barbie uh, present. And uh, there is a certain, or maybe, I don't know if it's like necessary, but like there's a certain ease with which you can develop taste by seeing excellence in front of you, seeing it like showcase. And you're like, oh, that's good. And then, but you have to have the secondary component of breaking down why it's good. But I think you can do it without that example, or like at least a mentor, if you're willing to listen to a podcast and you feel it emotionally in your gut, you like it. Why do you like it? You start breaking it down. You have to like be able to nitpick the details and figure out the causal pathways that made it something that you enjoyed. And it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody enjoys it. That's the thing about taste. It's subjective. It's individual. Um, And there's a lot of like commonalities and probably like something that's good. A lot of people are going to like. So if you like it, a lot of people are probably going to like it. But that ability to... um, to eat pad thai and to distinguish the sweet from the sour flavor and like mm-hmm. this component versus like the 10 other pad thais you've had and to really think about like what made it good. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I'm, I'm starting to like lead more towards taste is like having a heuristic 
for what's good or bad. And if we continue with the pad thai example, like you don't need to have cooked pad thai a thousand times, but you need to have experienced pad thai a thousand times to be like, oh, I know what I like, like whether or not it's authentic, quote authentic pad thai, I know what I like. And that's because I've experienced it a thousand times. I've experienced some bad, some good. I don't need to cook it to know what's good. Mm -hmm. I'm still hearing taste has to do with experience. Like Pep had experience and he taught you. And David's mentor had experience and taught you. So it's either first or secondhand, like education from experience. And those folks that have like passed on their knowledge from their experience, and maybe they received it from someone before them, they had taken the time to digest what they know and understand why things are good and bad. And then they passed it on to you. I think I'm like diverging between two different types of experience. Like if we talk about business, there's, there's a business operator or like builder that's one type of experience. And then there's investors who look at thousands of businesses and they're like, Mm -hmm. I know what a good business looks like. Like observed experience. Yeah. It's like with art, like there's a painter who's like experienced with painting and is the art critic who's looked at thousands of paintings Mm -hmm. and like developed taste and like know what they like. Or like food critics versus chefs. Yeah. So I guess it's like really how you define experience here. It's like, are you experiencing or are you like, doing that i don't know how to describe it like are, are you doing experiencing or are you being experienced <laughs> <laughs> well it's like operating versus like observing yeah 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 no i think that's a valid point and ali to your point i i actually agree with both of you but um really? the, having done the thing there's another point in this essay where it says one hypothesis is that creating forces taste upon its maker hmm. creators must master self-expression and craft if they're going to make something truly compelling So I think to that point, it is you have to have taste if you are a creator Uh, in a true, like truly a creator, not a hack. Right. Um, But to be a consumer, you have to more consciously develop it. Like it's a forcing function to be a creator. Like you're going to develop taste, a a sense of it. Uh, You don't necessarily have to have that if you're a consumer. I think the, the other point in that, by the way, is that you don't have to taste in everything. Uh, so one of the points in the essay is that taste in too I many things would be torturous. I like this. The things we have taste in often start as a pee under the mattress. To have taste is to be persnickety and one doesn't want to be persnickety or annoyed about too many things. There are people who are like this. They are grumps. <laughs> so. I, I like this too because it touches on the point before it, which was kind of freeing to read, like how taste comes in lanes. And one of the facts to be reckoned with, which is a part of a larger quote, is that taste tends to develop very unevenly. And it's rare that the same person who has good like visual taste or taste in people has good taste elsewhere. And I think that really corroborates the point we made about like mindfulness and intentionality, because you can't it's, I think it's impossible to have good taste in everything. You know, mm-hmm. like the author made made a point about like the sought after interior designer may not mind gas station coffee or mm-hmm. like a very good composer might not care about what they're wearing. And I think you can see, you know, going back to that, that person that plays on the stereotypes or plays on the like, I hate Nickelback just because. You can always tell, I think, when people are like that because they judge like someone who's very good at one thing for not being really good at everything. Like, oh, I'm not going to go to that person's restaurant because like, I don't like the way that the ambiance is, or I don't like like the design of the restaurant. But like, let's say the food is really, really, really good. Like maybe the chef doesn't care about all the other details because they've spent so much time and spent so much energy like curating their food. And that's what they have really good taste in. 
but some people just don't they don't see past like the the rest of the details and i think that's really where you can you can see how someone doesn't understand that very specific taste or doesn't understand like how much effort and time people put into like getting really good at one thing or having really good taste in one thing mm. that that resonates a ton that that makes me think cuz i i often I'm, I'm like when i read a piece of content what stands out to me what makes me persnickety is often when people use statistics or or data in ways that are like malpractice to me like that stands out like a sore thumb but like i pretty much never notice like punctuation or grammar errors whereas to other people like that's what stands out to them and it's like what drives them crazy and like you're almost talking past each other if, if you, you think one or the other doesn't matter. It's not that one or the other doesn't matter. No. Maybe one or the other can have more impact on like a metric if you're in the business context. But um, I just like you, you couldn't feasibly have enough mental bandwidth to care about every small detail. Otherwise, you would never get past a paragraph or, you know, <laughs> in the, the introduction of a movie. If you like every, right. every all, you, you know, the dialogue, the art, like if everything stood out at that level, you could never live life. I think that it also reminds me of like Paul, like Paul Graham's blog, <laughs> like the most simple, like basic 20, 2005 blog, but I almost respect it more because, you know, he just like, just writes his shit and logs off and it's like mm -hmm. good. And he's spending most of his time probably doing the stuff that he's writing about. And I feel like once you really understand how singular, like good taste can be and how much time and effort it takes to like put into that like i almost want to read his stuff more because i know he's probably not worried about anything else do you guys have anything like that like even not even a writer but like anything else that you like they don't they probably don't seem like they're really good at that but i know that they're super talented it seems like the people with the most taste would probably appear effortless. Like they would appear like they don't sweat the details, but they, the fact that they've had so many years of developing that like heuristic that, that goes into the creation of an essay, like Paul Graham, like he, he probably deeply cares about every word, but it doesn't seem like it because what we see is the end product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, <clears throat> the one person that comes to mind is my barber. Like his name's Van. Amazing barber, found him when I first moved to Boston, have gone to him for like the last eight years, see him like once a month. And he really loves music. Like he's always playing some music in the background. And he's like, no one asked me about my music. Like, why is that? I'm like, tell me about the music. And he'll just go on this whole like thing about like the history of the, the music and like who they're influenced by and all this shit. And he has like all these opinions and he can explain like why it's really good. I'm like, I like music, but I don't care about it as much as you do. Like, I'm not going to go down these rabbit holes and like learn the history of all this stuff. Actually, he's the one who prompted the question that I asked you both when we were on an offside of like, who influenced punk rock the most? Oh, that's a beautiful question. He had an answer. I was like, Ooh, I'm going to ask Alex and Sam this. It created such a great dialogue too, because we had such like, Sam and I both had very, I would say like contrarian answers, but both of us were, they were different answers. Like none of us said the sex pistols, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just the idea of not having taste for everything really resonates with me. I've had situations where my girlfriend, Lisa, is like, you know, you either have no reaction or don't care about most things, but when you care, you really care. I'm like, yeah, like I don't have energy to care about everything, but there are certain things that I'm just like, 
I get really fired up about. <laughs> and I, I think that's okay. It's, I'd rather do that than like sort of not really care. Like, what's the point? If, if you don't care, just, just let it go and let it be. And if you really care, like be thoughtful and intentional about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just going to say the most like banal, obvious point of all time. I was going to say it's, it's important to have taste. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. And whatever that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe hey, like before we end, that there was a really good uh, quote that I thought was important that because we're talking about like taste in like a lot of esoteric ways, but like if you're writing an article or if you're uh, creating a research report or doing SEO research, whatever you're doing, the end of the essay here had a quote from George Saunders on the revision process. The way I revise is I read my own text and I imagine a little meter in my head with P on one side for positive and N on the other side for negative. This involves making thousands of what I've come to think of as micro decisions. These are instantaneous, intuitive. I just prefer this to that. I just have a feeling and and react to that feeling in the form of a cut phrase or an added word or an urge to move this whole section and so on. And then I do that over and over for months and sometimes years until that needle stays up in the P zone for the entire length of the text. I just thought that was a really cool way to encapsulate what Interesting. is totally in, uh, not innate. It's like a built-in repertoire of experience and pattern recognition that becomes intuitive. It, after like a certain amount of time, it just becomes like a little bell in your head, or like a little barometer. And that's why I think it's so hard for even us as we're like talking about this for almost an hour to define like, how do you know what's good? Because it's like, it's, it's such a built-up system of a million data points where you're just like, it is, I don't know, it's, it's, it's good. I hate that I'm about to bring this in, but this is sort of like where AI content comes in. Like I wrote something, like Ali had asked me to write a couple things and I was like, oh, I have some thoughts, but I'm probably not going to phrase it very well. And so I wrote down what I wanted to say. And I was like, I don't like how some of this says. So I put it in the chat GPT and I was like, polish my writing. And I just ended up with a combination of what I wrote versus plus what chat GPT wrote. Because there's some stuff that I wrote that I'm like, oh, lean to the P. Oh, I don't like this phrase. That's like a negative for me. And then ChatGPT helped me idea and find a new way to say it that made me feel a lot better about it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like ChatGPT is not going to have that taste to write something that leans towards the positive feeling when reading an article, but it can help you get there. Especially if you could define certain components that make it a P for you, like yeah. word economy or I, I don't think it's good at this but like funny or entertaining or something like that <laughs> i think if you've ever edited something like you know this process like when, the way i described the george saunders quote like you, you understand that like i when i've edited articles that's exactly what i'm doing in my brain as i'm reading through and i'm like almost creating like little mental flags i'm like oh mark that you know there's something there and then i'll try to describe what what's bad about it you know mm-hmm. so. taste is important <laughs> 